this week on Dig Me Out. your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our Digging Your Scene roundtables. We like doing these, Jay. They're fun. It's like we get to travel, but we don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's great for introverts like uh, you and I. Yes. We get to, it's time travel as well. We get to go back in time, discover a scene that we didn't know about. You know, everybody's kind of familiar with that one in Seattle. We don't have to uh, do an episode on on that particular scene from the 90s. But there are a whole bunch of other scenes that we've already talked about, like Boston and Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul and L.A. and New York. So I wanted to bring it home. I actually had considered doing a, uh, a combined episode for this one, which was going to be Cincinnati, Columbus and Dayton. And then I started doing my research on Dayton. I was like, well, this is just a whole episode. We don't have to break this. You don't have to separate this into like 20 minutes per city. We'll just do a whole episode on Dayton because, quite frankly, the amount of acts that have come out of Dayton is amazing. I mean, we're not even going to get to Lakeside. I mean, there's just (laughs) so much. There's so much good stuff that we have to talk about. And of course, Jay, you know, when we do these episodes, we're not going to just read off of Wikipedia. We're going to actually talk to people (laughs) who were were there. Darn! I had I had the page pulled up and everything. Dayton, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. For the longest wow. time, I'm longer into my adulthood than I want to really admit. I thought that Daytona and Dayton were the same thing. <laughs> so, like when I moved to Ohio, I was like, well, "Where's the racetrack? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yep, I didn't realize it. I thought that Day- that the Daytona oh, Speedway was in you. Dayton, Ohio." You're lucky you told me that now and not t- 20 years ago. I know you would have ended our friendship right there and then. <laughs> All right. Luckily, I have we have some folks that are not as uh, dismissive as you are with regards to my lack of knowledge. Joining us for the first time, everybody. Everybody's joining us for the first time. But from right here in Columbus, Ohio, I'm going to start. I'm going to start geographically and work my way out. <laughs> Nate Furley, you know him as... Guitarist formerly of Guided by Voices and the Amps. He's currently in the band K-Mado. That's Q-U-E-M-A-D-O. Welcome to the show, Nate. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? Good. So were you born in Dayton or uh, what's your what's your history with the city? Um, born and raised in North Dayton, Northwest Dayton. Uh, it's actually Meadowdale is the neighborhood. And it was about a, probably a half mile from... Hera Arena that used to have all the big rock shows. Yes. Jay, did you go with me in 2000 to see the Smashing Pumpkins at Hera Arena? <laughs> I did not. Yes, it was a horrible show. Horrible. Yes, I'm glad I didn't go. Yes. That was during their downtune phase when they would tune everything down to C and it was just a cacophony of awfulness. <laughs> drudge fest. It was a drudge fest. I don't need, I don't need to hear a 12-minute version of Rock On by David Essex in Tune to C. It was just, <laughs> it was horrifying. Working my way out a little bit farther. Garen, where are you at? What part of the state? I know um, you're somewhere. So I, I live in Covington, Kentucky, which is kind of like the Brooklyn of Cincinnati. So it's basically just across the river from Cincinnati. So Garen Pernia, author of Rebels and Underdogs, The Story <laughs> of Ohio Rock and Roll, as well as a book I have not read yet, but I'm interested, The Beer Cheese Book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's, I, uh, what's the story on that? So I moved to Covington uh, seven years ago from Chicago, and I discovered this thing called beer cheese down here, which is was invented in central Kentucky, and it's like a cold like dip, like a spread. I think a lot of people know beer cheese as being like this warm dip, but it's like actually like, a, like flattened beer and cheddar cheese on some spices, and it was invented in Winchester, Kentucky. And so I wrote like a whole book about it. There's a beer cheese festival, a beer cheese trail, and then there's like 25 different recipes, like beer cheese, buttermilk biscuits, beer cheese risotto. So it's like this 
really weird thing I did. <laughs> that is awesome. But There's Nate, a you're cheese. a chef, right? I read that. Yeah, I know. I know all about the Kentucky beer cheese. Really, that's cool. It's, yeah, I like, and they make like super spicy beer cheese, and it's, I mean it's good stuff. Yeah, it is, and I wish like more people knew about it outside this region, but they don't. So spread the word. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, what do you have to say about beer cheese? Tell us. Chime in now. Uh, I'm unaware, so I'm just listening. Uh, you know, be, be, being indoctrinated, um, there's quite a food thing up here, but uh, we don't, we, yeah, that must be a regional thing that obviously I don't get back to the Midwest. There's actually to, to, some of it in New York. Um, I actually went to New York and did some research. There's this bar in Brooklyn called Floyd's Union Hall also has it. Um, so you could uh, oh, okay. go to those places and try it. So I absolutely will. Thank you for the tip. (laughs) (laughs) This took a strange turn. I don't know how we ended up here, but I like it. That voice you heard, that's Eric Mahoney, director of the upcoming film, feature documentary on Brainiac, who I'm sure are going to come up in this episode. I can guarantee it 100%. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Also, North Dayton, born and raised. I want to chime in on that. Uh, little tidbit as well. <laughs> All right, two North Dayton's. Garen, what part of Dayton are you from? I grew up in South Dayton. Oh, sorry. Uh oh. Rivalry. <laughs> and hey, my wife. Right my wife's from Centerville. That's fine. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Did she go to Centerville High School. She did. Really? What year? Oh my gosh! I should know this. She graduated in '99. Okay, I was 95. Oh. You probably... Maybe I know her. Yeah, her... <laughs> Did you haze her as a fr- when she was a freshman? <laughs> but no, we don't do that there. <laughs> Just imagining the scene in Hades and Confused with the, with the hazing of the oh, freshman. the paddling. And, yes, the yeah. paddling and all that kind of stuff. That was the 70s, not Centerville the 90s. Centerville was a really, really... Centerville was a really, really nice high school. Yeah, it's huge. I didn't even know half the people in my class, so... (laughs) All right. Eric and I are from the the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like pretty... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now that we've discussed the beer cheese, let's get into the meat of this episode. (laughs) Let's talk about some Dayton music. We've We've already kind of set the format on our previous episode, so... I guess what I'd like to do is is go around and talk to each of you about when you first sort of discovered music on a local level, like where were you going to see shows? How were you discovering them? That sort of thing. So, Garen, I'll start with you. Um, when was it that you first became aware of, of there being such thing as like local music in Dayton? And, and where did you go out to see bands? Probably with the like the breeders in the nineties because I think they were on like MTV with Cannibal and on the radio and I think I think I knew they were from Dayton and then I remember that band Blessed Union of Souls was from like Cincinnati and then there was that Edge Fest that was in the mid nineties. Um, so probably like in high school, but I didn't really go to a lot of local shows because I probably was too young or not allowed and. A lot of the shows I did see were like at the Phrase Pavilion where like my mom would take me to see like Ray Charles or something. So I wasn't really all that involved with the music scene in the 90s. And I think later on I discovered like a few years after that, like Guided by Voices and Brainiac and like, oh, they're from Dayton. That's really cool. Like I wasn't aware of that back then, though. Gotcha. Nate, how about you? What era, I guess, would you be going to shows? Like, what bands would you be going to seeing when you're first going out to see bands in Dayton? And where were you going? Um, when I first started going to shows, um, it was probably 86. And there's a place called the Building Lounge. It was on, like, in a really crappy side of town. And it was an old, like, jazz slash blues bar across the street from a biker bar. And the shows I would go to. The first show I saw was a band called uh, DeKreutzen. And then, like, there's a lot of, like, SSN 20 from Cincinnati used to play there all the time. I saw Flaming Lips, I think, in, like, 88 there. Hmm. And it was so sketchy and so illegal. Like, anyone could get in. Like, you never got carded. Everyone was drinking and doing whatever. And But it was, like, so fun. Like, you know, it was, like, you felt safe once you were in there, but you know, once you get outside, <laughs> you're you're on your own. 
but um, we saw there's a lot of good shows that came through there. Um, I know uh, uh, who else came through? Toxic Reasons came through there. Oh, uh, there's just like tons of bands. DOA didn't play there, but they were playing Dayton a lot around then. And it was just it seemed to, seemed like there was something going on like every weekend. There's like an awesome show that you had to go to, and even the shows that sucked, we'd go to those too, <laughs> just because you, know, you had to. <laughs> You know, we'd always find a place. There's like record stores that did shows, and you know, from from then on, there's a place called um, the Warehouse. It was like on the east side of town. There's a lot there, and then there's like this abandoned, uh, not abandoned, uh, an old like meatpacking warehouse. We'd have a lot of shows there. Like Green Day played there. Uh, yeah, every everyone played that one. That's the first place I saw Brainiac. I think that was their first show. Oh, okay. All right, I'm warning you. I'm coffeeed up, so just cut me off when it's my turn. <laughs> well, no, first Brainiac show. That's a good segue to Eric. Then, Eric, when did you start going out to shows, and and where were you going? Was this around the same time as Nate, or different time period? No, this is probably starting in '92, '93. I okay. think. Um, I got a guitar as a freshman in high school, and that's when I just kind of went head on and, and started getting, in, in, you know interested in the local scene i first started going to shows at network downtown which was like this little room um next to howard music um i'd go to the palace club too young to get in canal street which was a bummer often brookwood hall i went to and yeah i mean i just uh i mean nate's bands actually were probably some of the first bands i was seeing uh I took guitar lessons from Scott Bodine, and so he was sort of my conduit into the local music scene. I, I met um, you know Michelle that through him. So I was going to see The Method, uh, an early Brainiac show, I do recall. Um, they also had shows at the Lithuanian Club uh, from time to time. But yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of, you know, through, through Scott really started learning about, you know, what was going on, and then obviously... You know, then finding out that like Guided by Voices um, was from there and starting to listen to them and, and the Breeders. And there was like even hip hop. I remember seeing like Shutdown and Corvix. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was really eye opening for me because it, it made me re- really proud that, um, you know, um, as I was sort of just going full on into, you know, music and wanting to be a musician, that, that where I lived had such an incredible scene happening, you know. So there was just, you know, once once you kind of pulled the curtain back, there was just tons of creativity happening, which was just incredibly inspiring. So Nate, you mentioned about shows at record stores. Where, like, what record stores were you going to? Uh, are any of them still around, or are these all have all you know fallen by the wayside? There's one that's still around. They didn't do shows so much, but Omega Music. I lived like a block away from the original Omega. That was on North Main Street, and I mean that was the place where just so much, so much used stuff. It was like super cool. But Network was the place. Um, that Eric was actually talking about network was also a record store, just like limited supply, but just like all like super duper underground indie stuff. And that was all, um, Ken gross, who was pretty yeah. much the godfather of like going to yeah. any <laughs> show that was ever put on in Dayton. And, uh, he still kicks around Dayton. He's a, uh, he lives in LA and Dayton both like his job takes him around. But Ken is the guy that would like find a place, build it up, you know, like promote it and just like bring in the bigger bands 
you know, bring in touring, touring bands and give local bands a chance to like, you know, get exposed with like some, some touring bands, but like the scene that in Dayton got kind of like, we were just like so tight knit and like, so about ourselves, like when bigger bands would come through, the local band would play last just so people would stick around and see the bigger band. It was kind of weird how we had to do it backwards like that every now and then. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Network. Um, we will come back to Ken Gross. He's, he's, we couldn't, there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't happen in Dayton without that guy. For sure. Yeah. 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 So Garen, where were you going to, uh, to get records when you first discovered the breeders and stuff? Um, I used to go to Jingleberries in Centerville, which sadly no longer exists, but I used to go there and like buy CDs all the time. And, uh, that's kind of where I used to go. Was that Giggleberries? Jingleberries is awesome. That Jingleberries. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it right. <laughs> I did not make them. Yeah. Jingleberries. <laughs> Jingleberries. Okay. All right. Right. Yep. Down. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, South Dayton, South Dayton has weird bears. names for things, I guess. So, <laughs> Trader uh, Vic's too, we should mention, is being, uh, I think, a pretty seminal record store in Dayton. I mean, that's where I got a lot, got turned onto a lot of stuff at Trader Vic's. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, that was I the, the was first place great. to buy. It was awesome, man. The first place to buy punk records, like in the 80s, was Renaissance. That was in Belmont. Okay. So is uh, Trader Vix the person who runs that? Is it? I'm assuming his name's Vic or owns it, or is it? Yeah. <laughs> did he have yeah. a label? Yeah, Simple Solution, they, right, Nate? Yeah, Simple Solution. Um, they put out a lot of local stuff. His full name is Trader Vic. His full name is Trader Vic. <laughs> Fascinating. It's Trader Vic. Vic's his last name. A couple weeks ago. <laughs> Sounds like a character. Yeah, he had a place. He had a place. Um, his record store was on like UD campus, like in that area, and um, lots of lots of people and bands worked there. Um, and then eventually, he put out a lot of stuff. He put out uh, some stuff on my band, The Method. Um, yeah, dude, he put out a lot of stuff. Didn't he do a Brainiac? He did. He did that. He did the. Uh, uh, am I saying this right? Did he do the split seven inch with Lazy? Maybe. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think he did the Dextatrim single for Brainiac, if if memory serves. Also did a split single with Pretty Mighty Mighty from Columbus, Ohio, who were at the time Correct. not from Columbus, Ohio. They were from Athens, which I Correct. learned Correct. last week. So, how did folks learn about shows? Is it was there like a weekly paper, or was there any sort of zine or anything? Uh, you know, Columbus in comparison had like Moo Magazine, and it had. In, in the mid nineties got cringe.com, which was one of the very earliest sort of websites dedicated to music. And then obviously you had the weekly papers with like the other paper and the alive as comparison. Was there any sort of a, you know, a, a journalism component to all this where there was a, a weekly paper or anything like that? The impact weekly. And there was something else before that. But originally Ken gross when uh, like whatever venue he had, he, when you'd go to the venue, he'd pass out, flyers for shows but along with that he'd pass out a calendar just like one flyer there's like a calendar for that month and like it would also have upcoming shows but you could like plan out your entire month just by one sheet of paper huh and he just did that yeah i remember own. being very word of mouth yeah i mean we had new magazine too um that, that would be at record shops but yeah i mean I, I remember just going to record stores and just looking at flyers and taking flyers and but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't remember there being a real like Dayton centric zine per se. I mean, like the Dayton Daily News had a section every Friday that came out where they would like they would list the local section. shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would look at that sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was like, I mean, yeah, for me, it was it was basically like just going going places and picking up flyers. There's a zine um, in the '80s in Dayton, and it was actually called Blog. But only because the side of the building that the guy lived in, it said building like the uh, abbreviation for building BLDG, but the D looked like an O, so he named his, G- his zine Blog, which is kind of weird seeing how blogs didn't exist back then. <laughs> yeah. And, and they kind of became the, the zines of the web. <laughs> yeah. Funny. 
I think it's the first time we, we've done a scene episode where there wasn't like one of those um, pretty prevalent, like either weekender papers or, right. know, uh, or a prominent zine. That's interesting. Um, Garen, I was going to ask you, did you write for any papers? And you've done a lot of writing for various outlets like Rolling Stone and Vanity Fair and all those kind of places. Did you get your start at any sort of local uh, place in Dayton? Um, well, I wrote in my high school newspapers. That's probably like the first thing I ever did. I wrote a lot of like lifestyle gen ed kind of things like that. Um, but then I was on, I wrote for the, I went to Ohio University for three years and I wrote for part of their newspaper, but that's sort of kind of where I started. And then gotcha. now living in the Cincinnati area, uh, I've written a lot for local publications here about music. So, but, but yeah, when I was like growing, cause I, got, I left Ohio when I was like 21, I moved to LA and then I moved, briefly moved back to Ohio and then I moved to Chicago for seven years. So I was kind of like in and out. So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so Jay mentioned it, like usually there's some sort of prominent, you know, weekly paper or, or something that sort of everybody turns to each Friday and picks up, you know, in New York, they'd be like the Village Voice or something like that. Um, the other thing that cities tend to have is some sort of a, a radio component, whether it's a college radio station or a commercial station that happens to have a, you know, maybe a local program or something like that, that artists are, you know, vying to get on. Was there, does Dayton have anything like that? Is there a strong college radio station at University of Dayton or anything or a commercial station, sort of like a CD 101 or 102.5 of, of Dayton? Um, there is WISO, which is uh, yeah. <laughs> the Yellow Springs, the Antioch College, um, like the college radio station, and they, they would do some things. Um a long time ago, the Northridge High School had its own radio station. And oh. Do you remember that, Eric? I don't. Like no. Like a, no. Yeah. Um, it's probably like in, it was like the mid to late 80s, and like they had a student-run radio station. And my high school girlfriend actually was, she had a radio show called Media Fungus, and she was <laughs> can- cancerous oh Freddy God. Fungus. <laughs> and, <laughs> So it was like, and she was like, just play like everything, like the coolest records, like play like whole sides of a record or like, just like all like the, like all the cool punk stuff. And people would like, I met a lot of people from like these people like tracking her down and like calling the radio station. And like, you know, we were like teenagers and we'd have like dudes in their twenties, like calling up and requesting songs and then like later on becoming our friends. That's <laughs> that sounds like a, It sounds like a great premise for a movie. <laughs> a high school row <laughs> radio station in the eighties. Like pump up the volume. So media fungus. I, I need to make sure she listens to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shout out to media fungus. Um, <laughs> yeah. People will probably, the, the four bands that I think people are going to know when we talk about Dayton are obviously the breeders Guided by Voices, Brainiac, and, well, the Amps. I would put the Amp because of them being the side project of of the Breeders. But there are some lesser-known bands that we should probably discuss. Nate, before we were, the show, we were chatting a little bit, and you brought up a band, Toxic Reasons. Can you get Mm -hmm. a little bit into who they were? Um, Toxic Reasons of originally a guy named Ed Pittman sang for him, and they were like I would say one of the first punk bands in Dayton. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff before them, like the dates and stuff like that. But they got pretty big. A lot of those guys live in uh, Indianapolis now. Um, they wound up Ed quit singing for him, but they were the first band that like 
went to San Francisco and played with the Dead Kennedys or like like they were the first band that I knew of in Dayton that was like a punk band that actually like toured nationally. And they had, their first album was called Independence and then they probably put out like I don't even, I'm not even gonna guess. I think they put did like five albums. Like another good one was called uh Kill by Remote Control. But they were like huge. Like in my eyes, those guys were like super duper rock stars, but really there's like local Dayton dudes. There's uh, nine studio albums and several singles and EPs from 82 to 95. Oh, okay. Nine? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like about okay. nine. I almost like, it a little bit. <laughs> but basically one, almost one a year between that period. Huh. Well, they were really good buddies with um, DOA from Canada, and like, I think they did a lot of shows with those guys. Can anyone tell me, this is a, uh, when, I, when I was doing my research, tell me about a band called The Mulchmen? Mm-hmm. What's 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 the deal on the much mulchmen, Eric? I remember seeing the mulchmen, but I don't know anything in particular about them or members or what their trajectory was. So I would I would I would listen for that that to you. I think that was Nick Kazernis's band. Uh, oh, super was he nice. in that He's band like probably yeah. I think Nick Kazernis was in it. Uh, Greg Spence, I think, was in it. I hope I'm thinking of the right. Okay. Band. That might be right. That might be right. Yep. And I know it's off. Yeah, they're really too, good. But 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 uh, you guys mentioned Lake Lakeside, and you know it's it's probably for another conversation. But I mean, like Roger Troutman and Zap and the Ohio Players. Oh yeah. And Slave. And I mean, the, the, just prior to the time period we're talking, uh, Dayton had a complete renaissance and a whole other different musical genre, which which I eternally like proud of as well um that you know there was a there was this period of, of, of a funk um that you know southern ohio in particular just exploded prior to this sort of indie rock you know um period which you know again it just speaks to like the kind of plethora of creativity from from that town you know from a town that size um i don't think i mean I, again i'm gonna like digress a little bit but i mean in terms of the, the number of patents and innovation and inventions that come from Dayton, Ohio for a town that size, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty staggering. I think, I mean, I just think that there's just uh, kind of an unexplained amount of creativity that's, that's come out of that, that city that is just, I don't know. It's just something I've always been really proud of. And I think it's just amazing. Uh, Dayton, Ohio is the home of the funk museum and like no joke actually i actually went there a couple weeks ago and toured it it's only open like by appointment only but they have so much like paraphernalia like the old costumes like robert troutman wore and all these artifacts and it's amazing i recommend going if you ever up in dayton so i plan on it i haven't been there yet yeah and it's really just astounding just like like how much music came out, but like like the, even the song Lakeside or the Lakeside um song, um Fantastic Voyage, you know, with like Coolio kind of made famous. But like, how many people realize that that was a funk song from a band from Dayton? You know, like I feel like that the the like even Beck has done like some funk like samples. But like, mm. how many people even realize that like the Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players that. The Red Hot Chili Peppers made famous is actually a Dayton band. So I think that's one reason why we have this museum so to preserve that history so people realize like where it all came from, you know what I mean? Right. Well, and Dr. Dre sampled a ton of zap and yeah. that stuff. Well, ca- California yeah, Love in the nineties Troutman. I mean Yeah. I mean yeah. Roger Troutman. In the nineties you couldn't listen to hip hop. You couldn't listen to hip hop without having Dayton music on it. It's like right. almost every yeah, single hip hop song in the nineties was Dayton. And that's awesome. I love that. Is that like empowering at all to to the scene? Like to know that, you know, people uh, from your area were able to go be, you know, so successful and kind of make their do their own thing. Do the like is that how the two relate to each other, or how uh, maybe uh, it influenced the nineties? I mean, I think there was I don't know. a sense of like it's not impossible. You know, that mm-hmm. it could be possible to you know get bigger than just your city. And Roger Troutman like drove through our parking lot and like waved from his limo. Like every kid in my class <laughs> ran to the window. And like, it's Roger, it's Roger. Awesome. <laughs> Why well, he had a, a limo in his own town, I have no idea. That is awesome. 
another band that I wanted to bring up is Swearing at Motorists. Oh, Garen, yeah. Garen, do you know anything about Swearing at Motorists that you can share? Because I'm not familiar. Um, I mean, just like a little bit. Uh, they, I think they played right with the tribute show, with um, the Brainiac tribute show with like God of My Voices and the Breeders and Mink. And uh, I know they've been around for a long time and I think they're still together, but like a different iteration. But yeah, I would probably include them as like the fourth band like from Ohio or Dayton you know like people should know more about them because like, we always talk about Brainiac you know um, Breeders and Guided by Voices but I think they're also important to the scene Yeah, I think Dave Doman's very important. Um, he's in uh, Germany, and yeah, that band I think has had, you know, dozens of drummers. Uh, it's a two-piece typically, um, but yeah, another another incredible band from that time. He was, you know, I think he was a really important, you know, contributor to the local music scene. Was a recording engineer in his own right. Absolutely, <clears throat> another 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 band that should be listed. Um, is doing great things in that time and beyond that time. So they were a two piece band in like the, I'm looks like the early to mid nineties. That's, mm-hmm. unusual. That's, that's right. That's interesting. Cause that was not in, in vogue in the way that it was in the early two thousands. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if some young musicians from Detroit or uh, other parts of Ohio saw them and, we're inspired. <laughs> you stay in the white stripes. <laughs> white stripes and the black keys. Once. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, they were a three-piece once because I I played the Farfisa organ for one show for, with the Swing Motors. Oh, nice. <laughs> it it didn't work out because I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I said, the, the Farfisa is a odd organ, so <laughs> you yeah. make that fit in. I, <laughs> I had I bought one at a garage sale. I wanted to be in the band for a show, right. so I did it. Nice. I played Farfisa on a record one time of of mine, and yeah, I, I have no idea how to play it. So that's that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> I think they had one it, at Workbook. And everybody it, it, who it, recorded there the tried one. to use it. Yeah, yep. Everybody tried. Yep. Everybody tried. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I said, "Give me the theremin and the farfisa, and I'm going to go to town on this." I was not in my right mind, <laughs> not thinking clearly at the time. Don't you you automatically sound like you're uh, at the roller rink, right? When you when you start yeah. playing the farfisa. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Not not a good baseball game. Looking back, Garen, you mentioned it uh, a band. So you said there was a Brainiac tribute show. When was that? Well, I was talking about um, when Tim Taylor died soon after that. There was like a big show in Dayton in 97. Uh, everyone got together and played. But then the other Brainiac tribute show, I guess, last December, um, some of the members of Brainiac reunited and played at the Yellow Cab in Dayton. So there's been a, some of them up throughout the years. Gotcha. Okay. So the one back in 97, you mentioned that Mink played? Yeah, I think they were part of the bill. Okay, we we talked to yep, Morgan Taylor years ago. He came on and gave us the history of, of... Actually, it was a good primer for this. He gave us some info on you know coming up in Dayton and talking about that band. That was a band that Jay and I were like obsessed with because we found... I think we found that randomly at like some record store. Is that Were you the one who found that, Jay? I found it on the internet, like in the late nineties, I'm one of those like music, early music, like contest sites or something. Okay. And we couldn't, 
like I think we actually found the CD. Couldn't find it in Columbus, and there was no online way to get it at that point. And then I think we found it at like a record store in Cincinnati. Uh, and we're just like, what is this band? Like, these are <laughs> awesome little pop songs. And uh, and then years later, <laughs> track down Morgan, who's doing like, you know, he's in, I think he's in New York City as well as you, Eric, and he's doing like uh, children's cartoons and performances. So and one was up for a Grammy like last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think did he win that or just he got nominated? He, I know. he lost to Lisa Loeb. Damn it. Uh, oh, <laughs> but we can't don't we all we can't be we too uh, upset. Well, we all do. We all lose something. We can't be too upset because Sean Michael Foster was the director of the videos for her album. So he won a Grammy friend of the show. Sean Michael Foster. So wow, yeah, he's great, dude. I didn't know we were so connected to the last year's Grammys. Holy smokes, <laughs> we, could, we could have been there, Jay. We could have been at the Grammys. Yeah, why didn't we get an invite? I mean, I don't know. That was an oversight on their part. I'll tell you that. Uh, let's <laughs> you and me at the Grammys. That would be horrifying. You mentioned Ken Gross as being sort of a a, a personality. Nate was in the in the scene. Um, were there other folks mm-hmm. like that? that were like maybe not in a band, but like were key elements to the scene that just kind of made things happen. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of like, and there's a, a, a lady named Monica who did sound at a lot of the shows. She was really important. Uh, a guy named uh, Paul McDermott, who was also like owned a PA and like ran sound, like, you know, you know, being, having these shows and like these, uh, like, you know, meat lockers in the back of record stores. Uh, it was really important to have like a good sound person and like, you know, have a like nice PA in there, you know, cause it's like, especially like Paul's PA, it was like probably something you see in like, like little brothers or like a really like nice big PA, but he'd like put the, that or like pieces of that in these small rooms. And it would just sound incredible. Like sounded like really pro. And then and there's like, you know, there's like Montgomery Canal street. Oh shit! Yeah, Mick Montgomery, at Canal Street. Yeah, yeah. He, he put on. We should, we he gave a lot up. of bands chances. Yeah, yeah. He gave a lot yeah, of my bands. My first show ever was their shows. See? Yep. <laughs> he gave a lot of bands the first shows. He uh, he did like a battle of the bands type thing. There was like a playoffs that would last like through the whole summer, and like there was just like two shows a week there at least that were like underground bands and they'd like bring in national acts like a lot of folk bands and like uh solo artists and stuff that place is really cool wait back yeah, up on this decades. playoff like so how did that work like did he pick the bands or did bands like sign up to be a part of it and was there any sort of like physical competition involved or was it just playing like what was the what was the deal with this <laughs> <laughs> it was it was kind of it was kind of brutal really like you sign up for it and then each like you go against another band there's two bands each band had to play two sets so it was like you'd like alternate or whatever and you had to bring all your friends out to vote and like you'd wind up playing like if you advanced in it you'd wind up playing it felt like like 10 times in two months or something like that like way more than anyone's friend would want to see them play. <laughs> and and also most of these bands only had like thirty minutes of like like original material. So you'd have to like I know when I did I was in a band that was in it and like we'd play the same set backwards like the next time we'd come up or we'd just like we like one time we just got drunk and goofed it and like did like jazz versions of all our songs. <laughs> it was like it was <laughs> You were well. We we won that year, actually. By the way, <laughs> I was gonna say you guys won it. You guys won it, right? The Method won it one year. Yeah, right? we did. Yes, Brainiac um, won it one year. The Method won it one year. What yeah. did you win? Oh, we won like five hundred dollars at a record store. Um, a professional photo shoot. Um, what else? <laughs> like you're, you know, you got your name in the paper the next day. <laughs> there was like a recording time sometimes. Shoot. I think. I think they oh, gave recording, recording time. time. Yeah. Yeah, ah, yeah, seven yeah. inch. We made seven inch off of it. I, uh, I had the shittiest guitar in the band, so my band like we used the money and I got a Les Paul out of it, which was cool. That's and, awesome. Uh, what was? Well, I'm trying to think of the headline in the paper, like in the music section of the Dayton Daily News the next day. It said like, punk rock 
takes the field or something like that. It was something ridiculous. And like a picture of me without a shirt. <laughs> and you and you won it doing uh, Jazz Odyssey. Yes, we did, and like we did awesome. uh, killing. We played Killing Floor for like ten minutes straight. I think. Wow, it was like a lot. It was really a lot to ask of your friends and family because you know you needed a lot of votes, and like there would also be bands in the mix that were just like. You know, like the, the best bar band in Dayton would like be there, and so like all of their like adult like it's like these were adult bands, and we were kids, and so like all their adult friends and kids and stuff like that would show up. So there was some this competition. Well, that was, uh, that's what was funny is literally anyone could sign up, so you would just go up against like the most random weird things sometimes. Like yeah, it'd be like a group of like old dudes or like just something completely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and the two sets thing always always like never made sense to me because no one ever had more than like a half hour. So it's like, well, you know, why don't we just do four a night and get this thing over with or something? But you have to like play the same yeah. set twice or something. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that was like that was. I mean, you got really good by the end of the summer. Like it's like kind of like going on tour, except you're playing the same place every week. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, you guys are talking about me. Those guys were incredible i love those guys nick eddie was a great songwriter he still is but he's got a band uh, i think they're called crusher and i mean it mink were like the squeeze of dayton oh that's a perfect uh description of them yeah i can totally see that and it was like you know just real fucking cool real cool pop songs Yeah, just a, a really like keen ear for melody, and and I think that's what Jay and I gravitated towards. It's just like this is really interesting, and like I can't quite put my finger on why it's so cool, but it's very cool. Uh, they had a song called Finger Lakes, which I probably haven't heard in 25 years, and I still know the melody to it. <laughs> and I never owned it; I just know it from seeing them live. So, besides Mink, I'll ask each of you: um, What's a band? that maybe never even made it out of the city, but that you guys saw live or you, or you got their CD or just, you know, made an impact on you on a local level, but most people are not going to know of that. Maybe they can track down on a streaming service if it's out there or YouTube or maybe like an, even an MP3 blog or something like that. Eric, I'll start with you. What's a, a Dayton band. Most people have never heard of. You think they should. I mean, I always thought Jeremy Frederick was a really compelling character. Um, uh, his band, Let's Crash and uh, The Dirty Walk, uh, I dug a lot. Um, I thought he was a really good front man. I liked Jeremy's stuff a lot. I mean, not to indulge Nate's ego here, but I, 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 like, I like Rob the Bank a lot. I really like Rob the Bank. Um, Nate's band with Heather Thank Newkirk. You. Yeah, I mean, there's there was a bunch. I mean, uh, also Heather's band Jesus was really cool. You know, I mean, Michelle Bodine and and um, and and Scott and Michelle's band Omatic that were on Grass Records, um, I thought was a killer band that you know was was around for a short time and, and toured, but I don't think a lot of people knew about them. Um, I really liked Omatic a lot. So I don't know. I'm sorry, you only asked for one, but um, there's, a, there's a handful of some good bands. When was uh, when was Jesus around? early 2000s i mean okay yeah wasn't yeah. erica winterstrom in that too from heartless bastards she, erica was uh, in the original lineup of jesus absolutely yeah. yeah she was yep yep she played bass for them jay i think we saw them or played with them mm-hmm. well and i know from heartless bastards i was wondering how the two overlapped or did they or was one before the other and yeah erica she- left 
Jesus and started Heartless Bastards after that. Yeah. yeah. Plus, it's an awesome name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nate, what's a band or two or three that uh, you think the people should know about from Dayton that didn't get enough appreciation? Um, well, I definitely agree with Eric that Jeremy Frederick did a lot of stuff. It was like really cool and interesting. There's a band called Real Lulu. Yeah. They were yeah. awesome. Yep. I mean, I thought I thought they were really good. Um, there was a band called a Ten O'clock Scholar. It was really good. Yep. And it seemed like there's a lot of good drummers in Dayton. <clears throat> like I'm thinking about these bands, and like there was like a surplus of good drummers, which is something that never happens in any city. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And like, That's true. And like, and you can't really be a good band without a good drummer. Like, I, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the drummer makes the band. That yeah. might be the secret weapon that you just unfolded, to be honest with you. <laughs> that might be yeah. the, the ace in the hole for Dayton. <laughs> I mean, we've got we had Crego. We had Jim McPherson. Yep. <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick Moreno, who was a, I think he was in a 10 o'clock scholar. He was awesome. Yeah, what are some bands that... Uh you thought from Dayton did not get enough appreciation. I just discovered like dementia precox, which is like this early eighties kind of pre like industrial band, like almost a precursor to like, um, nine inch nails. And they just, the uh, label just reissued their album from like 1986. It's called, huh? And I, cause I think they only released their albums on cassette back in the day, but, but it's sort of like, like, it's very kind of almost experimental. Like, I can almost see it, like, having influenced Brainiac because it's sort of just weird, like, industrial noise. And I just wonder if, like, Nine Inch Nails or and some of those bands were influenced by them. And then there's also a lot of synths in it. Like, like 80 synths almost sort of, like, goes along with the whole poppy thing that Dayton has. But yet it's totally, like, its own thing. And they just were, like, totally, like, forgotten until, like, now you can stream them on Spotify. So I think that's kind of a cool thing that, you know, we talk a lot about, like, Dayton's pop sound or funk, but then there's also this sort of weird, like, 80s industrial thing that was going on, and, like, almost, they sound almost, like, British in a way, you know? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Dayton has a lot of British influence. There's, like, even the punk bands in Dayton, like, everyone wanted to sound like Broken Bones or like exploited and stuff like that in the eighties. And there was another band that played a lot with the Mitch Precox or like right around that was, um, dance positive. And that was, uh, the first place I saw Tim play. Tim played guitar for that band, Tim Taylor. And oh. the singer was, the singer was, uh, I think the only British person in Dayton. Gary <laughs> 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 <Carrie> Thompson. <laughs> it would be funny if they actually had a tagline, Featuring the only British person in Dayton. As, as <laughs> the only real band. one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they, you know, everyone wanted to be British. This guy was British and he was the singer. So they kind of had a leg up on everyone. <laughs> Excellent. So we've mentioned so many bands and, and so many artists. For our audience out there, if you were to pick for what you think is the quintessential Dayton album, if you're going to say, this is a band from Dayton. This is where you start if you want to check out Dayton bands. What would that album be? Garen, I'll start with you. Where who what are you what are you directing somebody to? I mean, I'd probably just say like Last Splash by the Breeders is a good starting point, but a lot of people know that. But um I would just probably start there, maybe do some like the thousand guided by voices uh that that amps album pacer is great 
you gotta like go with Hissing Prigs by Brainiac. I mean, like I don't know. There's so many albums and bands. It's just it's really hard to pinpoint. But I'd probably like start with those, and then it'll probably be a gateway to even more. So excellent. That's not a bad choice to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what's your pick for your quintessential? album or the album you're going to start somebody on to get them hooked on date music um boy that's that's a really really tough question um i would echo a lot of the same sentiment i i I think um the thousand alien lanes would be a high ranking choices for me um that amps record i think as well and i think i would throw in a brainiac record for sure um i would you know, I don't think you can go wrong with Hissing Prigs, but I'm I'm more probably a little more aligned with Bonsai Superstar or Electric Shock for President. The last EP they did, I think, is like like really landmark stuff. Um, yeah, all all of those things I think will, would be really good. You know, kind of conduits into listening to more Dayton music. Nate, you're gonna pick the amps. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only naming albums I was on. Now, I mean, I think these, <laughs> same same as those guys. B thousand. I mean, you know, this everyone in Dayton's pretty proud of that album. Um, Bonsai Superstar, and when we're talking about all these bands in Dayton, Murder Your Darlings were an awesome band, and I totally skipped over talking about that. I apologize. Um, oh, thank you. I felt like. <laughs> I always felt like I saw you guys in Columbus way more than I saw you in Dayton. I think that's the thing. Well, wait a minute. Were you a um, was Murder Your Darlings a Columbus band or a Dayton band? I good thought it was question. a Columbus band. Well, I lived in Columbus, but I was from Dayton. Two of the guys were in Dayton. Uh, actually, so the two of the guys were Columbus, two of the guys were Dayton. So we were, we were a nice little hybrid. And then actually one of us moved to Chicago. So for a while we were in three different cities. But Where was your P.O. I mean, box? I, I, uh <laughs> right that's the that's the defining one that would have been that that probably would have defaulted back to me in columbus but i i, I always i always thought of murder you darlings as a dayton band just because oh. i'm from th- 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 three-fourths of us are from there so that that's kind of okay that's kind of well, that, like, that. that needs to be well, in the running that needs to be well that's sweet of you to say but I, well I it's a 2000s it album so actually it's disqualified from this conversation anyways Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we'd, we'd have to include like hawthorne heights and and some other bands and uh we're not going to be getting into that as far as dating fair bands. enough <laughs> what's wrong with hawthorne heights it's 2000s we're, we are a 90s podcast oh we that's can, right that's we cannot right. discuss the 2000s that has not happened yet <laughs> we we don't we don't acknowledge that the the 2000s have happened as a decade. So <laughs> sorry, we're not talking about earthquake glue. Just talking about the 2000s. <laughs> you know, if you're from Dayton, I always say if you're from Dayton, well, no matter what band you're in, no matter where you're at, I think it's a Dayton band because we've always we've got kind of our own thing, our own style of songwriting, our own sound. Why, uh, why is that? Why do you think, yeah. uh, particularly from other Ohio scenes, why is Dayton distinct or how is it distinct? I don't know. My lazy answer to that all the time was just like, there's nothing else to do. So we sit around <laughs> and play guitar and write songs. Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of bands just feed off each other in a good way. And like, you know, ideas just kind of evolve like from you know one band to the next like you go see a band you hear them doing something you you know unconsciously write a song that kind of plays off of that and i think that's kind of how stuff happened there and like there's like that whole inventive like vibe that dayton has you know i can't really explain it but you know like with all the patents you know we invented the airplane and the ejection seat i think right and the cash register Cash yeah, register, absolutely. Cash money. <laughs> I was just thinking, Dayton I mean, just I, got like I, totally I, ripped on a on a PBS special, and I thought it was really unfair. Oh yeah, I watched that the frontline thing. Yeah, it was just like painted Dayton is like the worst place on earth, but you know, <laughs> and there's some there's some crappy stuff going on in Dayton. You know, it's a has a really bad drug problem, but um, there's still a lot of cool things going on there. Well, that's the other thing. It's like the 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 whole thing is like there's nothing else to do. That there, that's that's absolutely true to an extent, but there's not a lot to do in a lot of 
the United States, you know, mm-hmm. so in a lot of these other comparable cities don't produce the kind of um, right creative output that Dayton does. So again, I, I, I got to fall back to like, there's, there's, there's some other sort of energetic, you know, thing happening there. I think uh, that I, I not, I not qualified to pontificate on, but like, I think that there, there is some other thing kind of happening there because it's just, it's, it's just, um, it's very lopsided with, with the high level of creativity for, for a town that size. How big, I totally how, big agree. Of a, how big of a part does the air force pace play in the, uh, like the culture, like how many bands had parents who kind of work there and like, isn't that like the biggest employer in the area? And it probably draws a lot of people to move there, or at least it did in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, think we, I we, have a, we, have a, we have a, we have a part in the Brainiac documentary about this, <laughs> to be honest, um, <laughs> about, um, about Briars versus um, Wright Pat uh, children and the mixture <laughs> of the two. And if you don't, if you don't know what Briars is, you have to see the film, but um yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think there's that's that's a component of it. I mean, that because that, um, yeah, is, is is also in and of itself a place where that attracts, you know, highly intelligent people from all over the planet to come and and work on, you know, sometimes very top secret government uh, projects. Um, so yeah, well, there's right. Like- there's, that hangar at Wright Pat, and there's some weird alien the energy coming from there. <laughs> That's what Megadeth sang about, the, right? The alien. Hangar 18? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we solved the mystery. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think, you know, piggybacking what Jay was sort of getting at, too, with the, you know, Guided by Voices, Brainiac, The Breeders. You want to take just those three there are much larger cities that have not produced three bands as uniquely artistic and interesting, but also sort of like have an amazing body of work that those, just those three bands have, you know, the comparison to like Columbus, Columbus has had a lot of really good bands, but none of them have broken through the way that like the breeders have, or the way that guided by voices has become sort of its own little like cultural icon. You know, there's, cities what is Dayton is it even a hundred thousand in terms of its city size yeah it's pretty small Mm -hmm. right and then you know put that up against cities three times its size and there's they're not producing the sort of art and and you know music that's coming out of Dayton not in we're not even talking about the funk that came out in the 70s so that's a pretty amazing amount of of uh of music that's come out of such a small city and it's also what I think What's also interesting is that so much is so much of it is grounded in, I guess you'd say, you know, tr- like pop music, but is so twisted in terms of the way it's interpreting that pop music. You know, when you listen to Last Splash by the Breeders and Cannonball, which is obviously the huge single, that doesn't sound like anything. I mean, that sounds like completely alien to what was going on in the nineties, but yet it's this incredibly catchy somehow pop song with weird, you know, feedback samples and <laughs> things going on. And yet somehow turn into a massive, you know, single in the nineties. And, you know, we can get in, we've obviously done a whole episode on, on Brainiac and, and talked about all the stuff going on with that band in terms of its influence and influences and, and broad range of people who have been touched by that band. So I think that's the amazing part to me is that it's such a small city, yet it's produced such interesting music that has broken through. Not just, you know, it's not just like three pop bands, but it's like really uh, challenging and but also accessible music in its own way. So that that's why when I like I said at the top, I was going to divide this into three episodes. Once I got to the Dayton part, I was like, nah. We got to talk. This is there's something unique going on here. And I don't know if it's the Air Force Base. I don't know if it's the (laughs) funk. I don't know what it is, but something happened in the in the 80s and 90s that produced a lot of really cool music. Um, I think like Dayton's always been like a really weird place. There's always been like weird energy and weirdos. And like, I kind of think the whole Bernie thing, fuck y'all were from Dayton really epitomizes 
like the Dayton scene and just high music in general. It's like, we're going to do things our way. We don't care what you think, uh, whether you like it or not. And I think that's like why you have a lot of this originality because it's not formulaic. It's like we came up with this ourselves and we're going to make it our own and we don't care what you think. So I think they have like less to lose these bands because you're just like, we're just going to do it like this. So I don't know. I think that's a, a perfect sentiment. Fuck y'all with some Dayton. That's a good spot to. Uh... I, I think it's something in the Mike sells potato chips, my son. <laughs> it's that peanut yeah, oil they used to use. There you go. Uh, all right. I think we've we've hit the hour mark and and smashed through it. So I think this is the time we call call the game. And say thank you to our guests for a lively discussion of Dayton, Ohio. Like I mentioned at the top, everybody's got stuff going on. Garen, where can people find you online to find your books and your writings and stuff? I have a website, garenpernia.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and they can buy the book like on Amazon right now. It's more than 50% off, so it's a good deal. <laughs> Excellent. Get the beer cheese book as well. So, are there recipes? Yeah, there's like 25 like different recipes. So you can do like buttermilk biscuits. I have one for like beer cheese cupcake. All kinds of different things. So whoa, what's the name of is the name of the book? Beer cheese. It's just called the beer cheese book. <laughs> the beer cheese book. Okay. Yeah. Eric, where can people go? I know there's the Facebook page. That's uh, that's where I've discovered. The documentary info, that's what, Brainiac documentary at Facebook? Or however you type in a Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, else? there's some back backslash included in that. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. We, we, we have a Facebook and Instagram page where we, we've been, you know, posting all the updates, you know, hoping to premiere the film uh, spring or winter of, of next year. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're just about picture locked and... We're looking to kind of roll it out and premiere the Brainiac documentary early next year. Picture locked. I like the inside term there. That's uh, giving us some <laughs> some some cool uh, directory talk there. I like that. I don't know what it means, but it sounds good. <laughs> I, I just imagine him like just just about done taking a master lock and like putting it on something that like, yeah. it's locked in, guys. Like the film ain't getting changed now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 precisely what it's like. Stop, it's it's stop messing with it. Time, yeah. so yeah, that's exactly what it stop is. Stop noodling. Yeah. Uh, and then Nate, I mentioned that uh, you are in a band currently in the Columbus area called Kmado. That's Q U E M A D O, and you have a new seven inch out. Is that in like record stores around the area? Can people get that? Um, uh, Around Columbus, you can find us on Facebook. We have a new uh, seven-inch out called K-Motto, pronounced K-Motto. <laughs> it's uh, three songs, um, three songs on Anyway Records, um, and you could order it through our Facebook, I guess. And it's also in like stores around Ohio. Excellent. Anyway, I've heard of that record label. They, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? It's not on Anyway. Oh, this is, uh, something else. Oh my gosh, we're we are on Lost Weekend Records. Lost Weekend Records. I've heard of that record label. Yeah, Mr. Kyle. Segrist. I have another seven inch out. I have a single out uh, on Anyway Records. Um, it's a split single um, with the Motel Beds, who we need to mention because those guys are amazing. From Dayton. From Dayton. <laughs> yeah. So one side of it is the Motel Beds. The other side is Nate Farley and the Fire Watchers, which is me with the Motel Beds as like my backup dudes. So that's on anyway. The Kamado Seven Inch is on Lost Weekend Records, which is a really good record store here in Columbus. Yes, it is. You got so much stuff coming out, you don't even know where it's going. Just coming and going. Yeah, I know. I probably <laughs> I just got drops for saying the wrong record label. <laughs> <laughs> Bela's on the phone right now. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bela's like, you're not even on the and Lost Weekend just dropped you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we need to thank uh, our commenters over at Patreon, Johnny Hooper and Darren Leach, who chimed in uh, with comments about uh, looking forward to this episode, basically. 
want to remind everyone they can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out to support the podcast, get bonus content, vote in polls, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us positive feedback over at iTunes. Thanks to all our guests for joining us. And for Jay, I am Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next (laughs) week on another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.